Amen. It's sure good to be with you, and uh, I look forward to, to being here. A lot has happened since I talked to your pastor not too long ago on uh, all that COVID and all that came about. And I was telling him back there I had never had any health problems in my life, never been on any medicine. And I was told him you're going to have to put up with me at saying, huh, and what a lot because I got a bout of that vertigo. I didn't know what vertigo was before I got it, but boy, I know what it is now. And one of the marks of it is you lose your hearing. And they can bring that back if they don't practice malpractice in the hospital, which they did in my case, so I'm, a, I'm with void of the hearing in one ear. And I got a lot of people praying for me. God can restore that hearing, amen? Amen. And I appreciate what you said about the books, brother. Uh, I uh, try to make them just as plain as I can, kind of like the, the trio that was up here. Was it a mixed trio? No, that's three, right? <laughs> I enjoyed that. I, I like the old hymns, just the simple singing. I get tired of people trying to outdo each other and swallow the microphones and all of that while they're singing. Well, I want us to turn tonight to the Gospel of Mark. Sometimes I, when I think about this passage of Scripture and other messages sometimes that, that I preach, I almost feel like prefacing them with a, an apology, not an apology for God's Word, but an apology for the simplicity that I've presented, it almost would seem like a, you'd expect me to pull out some flannel graph and do what they do in the little kid Sunday school. But this is such a wonderful, rich passage of Scripture. It's a very, very familiar passage of Scripture. And something you want to remember about this is that some of the Gospels Tell us a story, and not a fictional story, but they're all nonfiction. But they'll give an account of something, and just one gospel will carry that. And sometimes two will speak on the same, and sometimes three. And once in a while, the same event, account in Jesus' life will be mentioned four times in all four gospels. And you really want to bear down and pay attention when that happens, when God the Holy Spirit has deigned to have it put in all four Gospels. When I began reading this, we might think, well, this wouldn't seem like that would be something that profound that would uh, be put in all four Gospels, but it is. And let's uh, stand together, if you can, tonight, and we'll just read beginning with verse one, I, I really did appreciate the uh, singing. I'm not just saying that trying to be nice. I, I don't have to try to be nice. I'm naturally nice. <laughs> but I really did appreciate that singing. Mark chapter 11, we'll begin reading with verse 1, but first let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight. We thank you for this beautiful, beautiful evening that you've given to us to come out to your house and for the liberty that we have to be here. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that still remains to us, and we pray that we'll be good stewards of our freedom as your children and work as we see the night approaching. And I pray that you'll stir our hearts this week. I pray, dear God, that you'll help, uh, help everyone not to be distracted by the cares of this life, things that, that they uh, anticipate having to do tomorrow. Uh, it, throughout the week, but Lord, just help uh, help us not to be distracted by the cares of this world. We pray that each and every one would be very sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and Lord, dear God, that you will bless us tonight. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. And the Bible says in verse 1, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as you be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, 
and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna into the high, unto the, in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. Please be seated. Now I read this passage of Scripture. We're looking at the time period involved here is the spring of about 30 A.D. And here Jesus is 33 and a half years old. And uh, he is making his way to the cross. He's made his way already from the Father's throne in heaven. He said, the glory that I had, had with you in John chapter 17. And referring to the, that great glory that God, that God's Son had in heaven. But he, he who was rich became poor for our sakes that we might be made rich. He left heaven's glory and came down to this earth and he's coming to the end of his journey toward the cross of Calvary. In Psalm 102 and in verse 24, the Bible tells us that he would be taken away in the midst of his days. And that wonderful golden chapter in the Old Testament Isaiah chapter 53 says he was cut off from out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. You know who God's people are? God's people, the only ones that are God's people, are those who have been saved by virtue of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who have come to him on his terms, which is repentance toward God and faith, in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way to come effectually to the Lord God and be saved. And Paul said, I go, everywhere I go, I preach the same message. He said that in the book of Acts. He said, I preach this message, repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I never thought I'd live to see the day. It never occurred to me that I would ever come to a place where I would find people even called Baptists who are saying that you don't have to repent in order to be saved. That is, that is as gross a heresy uh, as denying the virgin birth of Christ. There's nobody that can be saved unless they repent. Even people in hell for sure know that. When the rich man died and he went to hell, you remember how he cried out at the last? Yes, for water, and that was... That was denied him. And at the last he cried out and said, Send Lazarus that he may warn my brethren that they might repent lest they come into this place. Nobody has ever been, ever will be saved unless they repent. And it doesn't matter how much alphabet soup people, preachers have after their name. It doesn't matter how much they think of themselves. The Bible is still true, and nobody has ever been or ever will be saved unless they repent and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to save them. Those two things go together. They're not separate things. You can't have one. There's no legitimacy in either, either one by itself. There has to be repentance and faith. Now, I want us to look at this passage before us and Jesus is nearing the end of his journey. The shadow of the cross is, is looming over him darker and darker. And it won't be long until he'll be nailed on that cross and lay down his life a ransom for many. Praise, praise his holy name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. And you know, people need to get 
they, they, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but people, it'd be, be good for people just to uh, cast aside their, their uh, in, in, inhibitions a little bit and praise the Lord for saving us from a devil's hell. Amen. He's a wonderful Savior. And here he is, the Bible's telling us, and he's going into the, the city, but outside the city, he speaks to two of his disciples. And he tells them to go into the town. He gives them specific instructions. And, um, and they go in. And you know what this reminds me of? It ought to re stir up our pure minds by way of remembrance tonight. When we look at Jesus, the Bible says he sendeth forth two of his disciples. That's because he, ha he has chosen to work through human instrumentality. That's God's ordained way to reach the lost. And that, that is to use you and I and, uh, and our being submitted to Him. He tells them, go into the city, you'll find the donkey tied. Now I want us to look at this little donkey. And I want us to learn some things about, about, uh, about the Lord and about salvation and about how the way it ought to be after we get saved and take a look at the circumstances that are involved with this donkey in verses 2, 3, and 4. And here's the first thing I want to say. It's very simple. Number one, Jesus knew the position of that donkey. He was way outside of town. But he told his disciples exactly where they would find it. You know why he told them that? Because he knew exactly where it was. And you know, you know what? The Lord knows exactly where we are tonight. He knows exactly where every man, woman, boy, and girl is. He knows where you're sitting on your pew. He knows what's going on in your mind. He knows what's been in your heart, what's on your heart right now. The Lord knows your spiritual position. He knows whether you're saved or you're lost. Other people may not know. Right. Other people may have, a, have a, a misunderstanding about that. And you may not even be as, as honest and clear about it as, as you could be and should be. But one thing for sure, the Lord Jesus knows where each and every one of us is. He knows what troubles you tonight. He knows any doubts or fears or, uh, uh, that, that you have tonight. He knows, what's, he knows what's going on in your wanter. He knows what deep down you want. He knows every single thing about you. The very hairs of your head are numbered. He knows all about us. And he knew about this donkey in verse 2, the latter part. He said, and as soon as you be entered in, you'll find a colt tied where upon him never a man sat. He knew right where he was. I think about when Jesus in John chapter 1, remember that when Andrew got saved and he went and found his own brother. And then they started thinking about people that they wanted to, to know Jesus. You know, that's the first thing when you get saved. The first, one of the first things that comes on your heart is, I wonder if I wonder if my mother knows anything about what I have. I wonder if my brothers and when I got saved in South St. Louis, after I came home from the military from overseas, I uh, I got saved that night and I, I couldn't wait to get off work that weekend so I could drive out to the little farm where my folks were out by Merrimack Caverns and I didn't know I, I just wanted to know if my mom my dad my sisters had what I had and sure enough as soon as I got off work I took off for Stanton Missouri and I I asked them and and found out Jesus knew where I was there on 2100 Ann Avenue and what my need was. When Andrew and Peter got saved, it's not long till they take him to a friend of theirs named Nathaniel. And 
The Bible says, As Jesus approached, Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered, and he said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. His eye is on the sparrow, the songwriter said, and I know he watches me. He's been watching a lot of people. Watching, watching, and waiting for them to come to the place where they'll come to him. Let's turn to Psalm 139. I was just going to read one verse there, but I want to read more than one verse. And we're talking about Jesus' omniscience. He knows all things. Psalm 139. The psalmist David said, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. So the first thing that we are reminded of with this little donkey is that Jesus knew its position. I'll just tell you a little added thing as I thought more and more about this donkey and used my concordance and looked up donkey <laughs> and related words. I believe it was a redeemed donkey. Brother Pennington, you remember those passages in the Old Testament? God says in the firstborn of a donkey, he said, uh, you can either you can either break its neck it can either be destroyed or you can redeem it. I, I think it was a redeemed donkey. Amen. I'm thankful to be redeemed. Think of the alternative to, to being redeemed. To be lost forever. But Jesus knew its position. You know what else he knew about that donkey? He knew its problem. This donkey had a specific problem, and here it is in verse 2. He said, you shall find a colt tied. Now that's a problem. He said, uh, you'll find a colt tied. Someone had ridden that little donkey into town and tied it up. Maybe went in the house and went to bed Forgot all about that little donkey out there in the hot sun. Before long, the flies and the bugs were biting it and bedeviling it and stomping its little feet and it getting hotter and more and more uncomfortable and perhaps some mean children were, were teasing it and so on. In other words, it's in an uncomfortable place. It's, it's tied. It's tied up. You say, well, what in the world does that have to do with the revival? Just this. There are a lot of God's people that are tied up. The other Gospels tell us clearly that he was, that he was tied, tied to a post. Do you know there are a lot of God's children tonight, maybe some, in the, maybe more than a few in this auditorium, that are tied to a post? Say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about being tied to a, to a pole. Some people are tied. They can't get anywhere spiritually. They're, they're saved, but they're tied to a post of envy. You know, there are people that sit in church and week after week, and they got envy in their heart, somebody else. Those people are never going to get revived as long as they're tied to that post. There are people who are tied to a post, and there are a lot of them today, of laziness. They don't read their Bibles like they used to. They don't go to church like they used to. They don't have any kind of family altar, hardly ever, like they used to. They're, and why? Because they're just too lazy 
Like down in Missouri, they say so-and-so's so lazy, they wouldn't say suey if the pigs were eating them. Some people are that lazy about spiritual things, and they're tied to a post of laziness. But a lot of people, a lot of Christians, and we suffer from lack of revival because of this, because a lot of Christians in our day are tied to a post of materialism. They can't, they can't, they can't get things off their mind. I was thinking a while back about a young couple, I've seen this over and over, but I don't know why, but I think about this couple quite often, years ago. When I was pastoring in Michigan, a young, young uh, father got saved, his wife got saved. It wasn't long until their children got a little older and they got saved. They were so happy. They lived in a little house on the east side of Flint and didn't have hardly any money and he, he had a low paying job, but they, they, all, they, got, they all got saved, they were in church, they were as happy as any little family could ever be. They had five General Motor companies in Flint, Michigan at that time, and boy, if you could get a job at the General Motors, you started off with a big wage and all kinds of benefits, and everybody was hoping they could get on there, and he got on one day. All of a sudden, he's making more money than he'd never made in his life. And it wasn't long until they had a little bit nicer house, and that's good. And then before long, they had a, he bought him a boat so they could, get, they could go up to the, to the lake. And it wasn't long until he started missing some services on the weekend. And he had his family out with that boat and so on and so forth. And they got, they got when I was growing up as a teenager, they had a rock and roll song. And one, some of the lyrics said, people sure act funny when they get a little money. Yes, they do, man. And he sure started acting funny. And things went all downhill them from that, that point on. They stopped being as excited as they were about church. They lost their joy. There's, there are people tonight, there might be some here. You know, if the church gets revived, people will, a lot of people get back under the spout where the glory runs out. Amen. But so many people are tied to a post of materialism. They found out they could get an extra couple of dollars on their paycheck. And so they start working on Wednesday night. It's not worth it. Sometimes they, they, they start missing Sundays because they can get that overtime. And they're tied to a post of materialism. And some people are tied to a post of self-will. I'm just talking about people that are plain old stubborn and bullheaded and self-willed. They want to have it their way. Long before there ever was a Burger King, it's the motto, have it your way. That's all they could think about. That's all they could think about tonight, is having everything their way. And they can't get loose from that post of self-will. Then there's the post of just plain worldliness that's killing us today. We're living in a time in the churches, it's so bad, we were talking a little bit about it today. That people, they act, you know what the Bible has become for a lot, in a lot of places? A prop. That, that's all it is, is a religious prop. You know how I know that? I know that's true when preachers get up and read one verse of scripture and never make another reference to the word of God. Let me let you in on a little secret. That is not preaching. I don't care how many jokes they tell. I don't care how many people are slapping their legs and laughing while he's telling stories, his graveyard stories, and all fairy tales, as my old friend Ronnie Sutton used to say. Uh, it's not preaching. The Bible says preach the word. There's no preaching if there's no word in it. But people are tied to a post today of a religiosity that, that has turned the Lord's day into a time for recreation and it's not, not even associated with religion today. And they're tied to a post of self-will and materialism and worldliness and they just as soon go out after leading the singing sometime in church and they go home and mow their grass or trim their bushes and all of this stuff 
And people need a re to revisit what God says about how that one day out of the week is so important to Him. Yeah. Amen. People are tied to a, to a post of jealousy and, and uh, tradition. Tradition. We never did it that way. We've never done it that way. We've never... Well, there's some tradition that never needs to be departed from. But man-made traditions. I'm just going to throw this in for free right now. People have come up with a lot of things in our day. I never thought I'd see this. But people have made subjects controversial that have never, never among God's people and Baptist people, historically, were never matters of controversy to where people would disfellowship one another. But on the other hand, we live in a day when people consider, consider doctrine kind of a nuisance and an unnecessary, why do we have to have that doctrine? You hear anybody say, I remember how shocked I was as a 23, 24 year old man, somewhere around in there. And I heard an evangelist say, I don't preach doctrine, I just preach Jesus. I hadn't been saved very long, but I thought that has got to be one of those ignorant things I ever heard in my life. Amen. You can't preach Jesus without preaching doctrine. And these doctrines, whether it involves the Lord's Supper or baptism or the church, those doctrines are important. And the Bible says, ordain the doctrine. Ordain, or uh, not ordain the doctrine, but uh, uh, it's ornament. It's like, I can't even think of the word now. But glorify the doctrine. Embellish the doctrine. Make a lot of the doctrine. Doctrine, doctrine, doctrine is important. Amen. Well, people are tied to their different posts today. And they can't get loose. Their, their husbands and wives having trouble because one of them's tied to a post of their selfishness, their self-will, whatever. Young people disobedient to parents. They're unhappy. They're saved, but they're unhappy. And it's because they're disobedient to their parents. Their post is rebellion. And they'll never get revived until they get shut of that post. Until they get loose of that post. And something else about this doctrine, Jesus knew that it was tied. He knows who's tied tonight. If anybody here is tied to something, he knows you're tied and he knows what you're tied to. He also knew something else about this donkey. You go on in verse 2, he said, you'll find this, you'll find this donkey where on never man sat. This donkey had never been mounted, never been ridden, he knew that this donkey had never been tamed. <laughs> Do you know there's some, some of God's children that's never been tamed properly? Right. Amen. Jesus knows all about that. Amen. In other words, this donkey, listen carefully, had never been broken to service. Now somebody said it tonight already and it may have been in a prayer but they mentioned being broken. There's, no, there's not going to be any revival until there's brokenness. And here's this, this little donkey tied to a post and it's never been broken for service and in that sense he's a perfect illustration of some Christians who have never been broken enough to humbly serve the Lord. Now Jesus knew, he knew the situation with this donkey and he knew the solution. You know, the solution, it's just right here in the Bible, he said, lose him. That's the solution, to get loose. To get loose. And this is what a lot of people need tonight. That's why we don't have revival because there's too many people tied to their particular post They've never gotten loose. That's right. Jesus knew something else about this donkey besides its problem. He knew the potential of this donkey. Amen. You and I may not recognize our potential. 
Some people, some Christians say, what could I do? I don't have any provision. I'm a housewife. I got five kids and three of them are hanging on my leg constantly. And I, what can I do? Well, you've got potential. If you would open your eyes and let the Lord speak to you, wherever you are, whoever you are. But a lot of people are not serving the Lord where they are, while they can, with what they have, when they can. But they have potential. And Jesus looked at this. That's why people need to be revived today. If, if God's people were revived today, these lunatics in Washington, D.C. wouldn't have a chance. That's right. There is nothing on this earth, nothing in the universe more powerful than truth. And people have got to get untied from whatever their post is so they can be revived. Here, here's how simple it is. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, which is Christianity 101, those three chapters. It's Christianity 101. And he begins with a description of the characteristic, the disposition, the trait of people who have been born again. That's what the Beatitudes are. To some degree, you've got that in you if you're saved. And when he finished those Beatitudes, he said, you are the salt of the earth. But if, if the salt lose its savor, it's henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the feet of men. The Old Testament parallel verse to that is in Isaiah 59 where it talks about truth has been cast into the street. Worldly Christianity, so many Christians tied up to their post who will not be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. They're so worldly, they've lost their savor. And as far as the world is concerned, we're good for nothing. And the world takes its liberties at walking all over. And listen, beloved, hostility toward Christianity has never been greater than it is today in the United States of America. It is coming down the pipe toward us and this hostility is infuriated furious at Christians and doesn't even really understand why but I know why a lot of people are mad at Christianity and they don't know why but I know why it's because Christianity has let them down when I was lost I didn't have any Christian background except for my grandma and grandpa once in a while in the summer go to church but I had, when I, when I was 21 years old, I had an idea of what a real Christian was. When I started going to a little church, a storefront church in South St. Louis, just because I wanted to, uh, to get a date with a girl I was, saw at school, found out she went to church, all of a sudden I got real interested in spiritual things. And I went in there and started sitting in that church and putting on a big act about being such a nice boy and all of this kind of thing. And, and I didn't pay a bit of attention to what the preacher was preaching or any of that. I didn't care anything about anything in that church except that girl. But after a while, you know th this, the Word of God, Hebrews 4 and 12, is quick, just the Word of God. That's why it's so criminal when people don't preach the Word of God. Amen. That's why people who say, I'm not a good talker, I couldn't tell anybody. You don't have to be a good talker. You don't have to be clever. Just show people in the Bible that they're sinners. Just show that to them. Hear it from the Word. Because the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing, even to the dividing of sunder of the soul and the spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And God says in the Old Testament, will not my word burn like a fire and beat like a hammer? And that's exactly what this book does. And I'll tell you what the word of God will do also. It'll cut through those bonds that have got you tied to a post like a laser beam if you won't grieve the Holy Spirit who is working through his word. Amen. Yeah, this, this donkey, the solution to his problem, he said, loose him 
and bring him. He knew his position, potential, potential for usefulness. We're supposed to be useful people as Christians. Did you know that? We're supposed to be useful. Amen. Find something to do. Get busy for God. It may not be preaching. When I got saved, I, I felt honored to do anything. Amen. Right after I got saved, I was working in St. Louis, and I drove by the church one day on a Saturday. I'd just gotten saved, and I saw some of the men out in the backyard, and they had a big pile of bricks, old bricks with mortar on them, and they were scraping those bricks. I didn't know what in the world they were doing. Well, they didn't have much money, and they'd gotten these, these free bricks, and they were scraping the mortar off. And I got out and pulled off my coat and started scraping that mortar off, knocking that mortar off those bricks. I was so happy to be doing something in, in the name of God. I didn't even know that phraseology, but I was happy. You know, the psalmist said, I was glad... I'll paraphrase. I was tickled to death. I'd be tickled to death just to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Amen. This, this little donkey had a lot of potential for usefulness. And here it is right here in the Scripture. He said, loose him and bring him. Bring him to me. And then in verse 3 he said, And if any man say to you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him. The Lord hath need of a donkey. Does the Lord have need of you? Here's the answer. Yes. Amen. 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 Potential for usefulness. That's been God's plan throughout the, throughout the ages. This was prophesied. This, this whole incident was prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, the King cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Way back there, way back yonder, God had His eye on that, that donkey up in the future. Saw its potential and had a purpose for him. Same is true of us. It was a pur purpose, a potential for usefulness, and it was a potential, though, that was uncertain, just like it is right now. I don't know what's going to happen when we give the invitation. There's a lot of uncertainty connected like that. You give that invitations at, in revival meetings and church services, and you, you don't really know what's going to happen. You know that the Word of God has gone forth. You know that the Holy Spirit is working on hearts. Here's the uncertainty. Will God's people respond? Or will they grieve the Spirit? Will they sit there and resist like that donkey pulling and tugging at that, at that, uh, at the, at that bridle or whatever it was that had him tied to a pose? Uncertain. Here it is in verse 4. And they went their way and found a colt and by the door without, check this out, in a place where two ways met. Two ways. There's the way of obedience, there's the way of disobedience. Two ways met. There's the way of the world, there's the way of the cross. Two ways. There's the way of do nothing and there's the way of do something. In Joshua chapter 24 and in verse 15, Joshua said this. Remember that? He's an old, old man who gathers all of Israel. It's not going to be long until he dies and goes to heaven. Calls all of Israel out and all of Israel came out. And he gave him that great address, farewell address in chapter 24. And he told them, he said, you know all these gods, false gods and these heathen, he said, you can, you can live like them if you want to. You can worship the gods of this world if you want to. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. There's a lot of lessons there. and There's a lot of lessons, very pointed lessons for men, for husbands and fathers. Joshua didn't look around and say, isn't that right? Isn't that, is, is that okay? He didn't do that. You know what that's called? That is called leadership. 
That is called taking the bull by the horns and being the leader, spiritual leader in your home. Problem is, we're so far gone today, many men are husbands. It's like OBR Lakin said, he said a lot of husbands, they don't go to bed at night, they perch on the bed footboard and with their head tucked under their arm. <laughs> a lot of people don't even know what the bull looks like anymore, let alone take it by the horns. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Verse Kings 18 and 21, Elijah's on Mount Carmel. 400 of Jezebel's priests are out there. He's challenged them to a contest. You know the story. He says, you put a, you're offering your bullock out here on this pile of, of wood and call upon your gods and to consume it by fire. Oh, they started jumping around and hollering and screaming and crying. And before long, they tried to gain the sympathy of their gods and goddesses. And they started cutting themselves, all to no avail. And Elijah started making fun of them. Started making fun of those even. That's where people miss the boat in this country. They should have started making fun right away of these people with their 114 genders and all of that, just started making fun of them. Yeah. You know, there's a proper place. Ridicule is a powerful thing. Yeah, that's right. And Elijah was ridiculing them. Yeah. Ridiculing them. Amen. And then he flaunted his faith. He put his bullock out there. Those priests couldn't hardly drag themselves back into the crowd and threw it. He put his bullock out there and saturated it with barrels of water. Called upon his God and an explosion of fire came out of heaven and consumed it in a moment. But before all of this, Elijah challenged and the Bible says he came unto all the people. And he said, how long halt ye between two opinions? He said, how long do you want to stay tied to your post? And how long, he said, if the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Jesus knew all about the circumstances, this donkey. He knows all about the circumstances where we're concerned. And then there was controversy. He said, you know, when he sent the disciples into town, he said, now you're going to have to expect some controversy. You're going to run into some people that's not going to like what you're trying to do. In verse 5, the Bible says, And certain of them that stood there said unto them, Why do ye, What do ye loosen the coat? Think about it. Here they come, and they start unloosing that coat. Here's a spit and whittle club over here. What I mean by that, here's these good-for-nothings standing over here. What are you doing loosening the coat? You say, what does that have to do with anything you know what that illustrates? That illustrates those people in a lot of churches. I've watched it happen over 50, for over 50 years. Somebody starts getting revived. Somebody starts wanting to change some of their ways, get some of their worldliness out of the picture, especially among teenagers. A lot of times this happens. They go to camp. People say, why did they always go to camp? I've heard this. Why did... Why did these kids not, why can't they get revived at home and here where their own church, why do they have to go to camp and they come back and they cry and they give their testimonies they've made all these decisions. Why can't that happen here? Well, the, the reason is, is because at camp, they don't have their radios and their garbage and their worldliness that the house is full of. That's not rocket science. There are some people in churches who get agitated when somebody else starts getting revived. You say, how come? The only way I know how to answer that is like this. All black sheep feel better when one white sheep gets dirty. Think about that. And so these men say, what are you doing loosing the coat? You don't have to, you don't have to do that. You, you don't have to listen to that preacher on that subject. You don't have to get that radical. 
That's these guys. We need some radicalism today. I'm talking about radicalism in love. I'm not talking about cold Phariseeism. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about people who want to live for Jesus and act like they're happy doing it. Amen. Well, why the controversy? Look at verse 5. Certain of them that stood by, what do ye loosing the colt? You know what their problem was? They were confused. I mean, there's people that don't know what's happening when revival starts going on. They don't know what's happening. They've never seen it. They, they don't know what, it, what to think. Confusion. Contrariness. And they were clueless. They were clueless. Some, some people think church, they think church is just a, in a, for inter, it's another form of entertainment. They think church is one way or another just a social club. And nobody ought to rock the boat. I remember one time in our church in Michigan, we had a dentist there, and he'd been, uh, he'd been around a long, long time, but he had a reputation for just being abrasive and short with everybody. He came to church all the time, big giver, all of that. And one time he had some unkind words with some people in the church, and I just went to him. And I said, Dr. So-and-so, I said, you... You, you said what you said to these people here, and I said it wasn't nice, it wasn't right, it wasn't Christian. And he started arguing with me, and I took the Bible out, and I showed him right there in Galatians 3 and 24, let your speech be always with grace. That's how I said let, The Bible says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you are. I'm trying to help him. You know what he said? I might have known you'd bring the Bible into it. <laughs> That's the way some people are in churches. They're fine as long as you don't bring the Bible into it. Brother Turk, you can bring it into it as long as you do it in such a way that people don't think you're serious. <laughs> not all people, some people. Now the reason for it, here's what happens, flesh gets in the way. Trying to get the donkey loose. You're trying your best to get loose. You want loose. You start getting loose. And some family member says, you don't have to be that radical. Yeah. Your friend says, they get mad at you. That's what these guys represent. And here's, here's the response in verse 6. And they said unto them, even as Jesus had commanded... And they let them go. They let them go. And they commenced to untie that donkey and get him, get him loose. And the Bible says they loose him. Now let me tell you something, beloved, tonight. Preachers and pastors are in the getting loose business. When a real, real God-called preacher who loves people, a real man with a pastor's heart is preaching things that's going to interrupt your lifestyle a little bit but it's because it's in the word of God it's not because they're trying to make anybody miserable it's because they're trying to get them loose from some things that are hurtful and harmful holding them back preachers pastors godly youth directors whatever are in the getting people loose business a spirit-filled filled song leader who thinks about it. Amen. Amen. Thinks about the songs. I'm telling you, some of these songs will get you loose. We had some gals get up in our my home church and sang a song I'd never heard it before, and I am telling you, I started getting loose like I did 40 years ago. I almost had a fit. And the Holy Spirit wants you to get loose. Godly parents are in the getting loose business. What are the consequences for all this? Well, the donkey got loose. Look what happened. Verse 7. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat on him. Now remember, we've already been told that this is the donkey. Nobody ever sat on it before. You know what happened when he got loose? 
he got under control. He got under control of the master. He got positioned where he was under Jesus's control. Jesus is on top of the donkey. And that was his rightful place. That is his rightful place. Is to be in control of us. Uh, didn't matter that it was untamed. You know, immediately that donkey re just recognized who his owner was. That's what people need to do today. That's what's going to make revival come to people. When they come to their senses and recognize who their owner, capital O, is. That's what happened with this donkey. That's why he's as subdued as he is and so on. Jesus said this. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So you notice he's under Jesus' control now. He's subordinated to Jesus as Lord. That's where we're all supposed to be. He is uh, submissive to Jesus' leadership. Right after I got saved, I started listening to some gospel music, and I never thought, I never knew what gospel music was. I went to Catholic school when I was little, and I thought gospel music, when some of the young people at the church mentioned, we're going to go to a gospel, southern gospel scene. I thought, I thought, oh man, this is going to be terrible. And I pictured us going there and sitting for an hour or more, listening to people chanting and going on and on and on, like they used to do in that Catholic church. I started listening to gospel music. Boy, some of those, some of those words really got to me. One of them said, "Something within got to hold on the reins. Something within is changing things." Thank God Almighty. There's something within. You know who's got a hold on the reins now? Where this donkey is concerned? Jesus has a hold on the reins. But it gets better because not only did he come under Jesus' control when he got loose, he came under his, knew who his Lord was and submitted to his leadership. By the way, you don't take Jesus anywhere. I can take Jesus with me to the river just as... No, you can't take Jesus. You're not to take Jesus anywhere. He's right. supposed to take you. Amen. That's right. Yep. But here's what happened. He came under Jesus. See, it's all right here in the scripture. Preaching is not that hard. All you have to do is just follow the scripture. Amen. Somebody said, I need a book of sermon outlines. Here's one. Here's one right here. That's <laughs> right laid out for us. He got under Jesus' control and guess what happened next? Jesus took him to the crowd or the donkey took him to the crowd. Carried him to the crowd. Now I said we're not supposed to take Jesus anywhere but you know what I mean by that. The donkey when it got under Jesus' control was used to take him to the place where he desired to be. There's probably people in all of our families and where we work and Jesus wants to be taken to where they are. You know that parable of the sower and the seed? I'll never forget this. Never forget it as long as I live. One time I was preaching on that parable of good seed. The stony ground, the hard ground, the thorny, thorny ground. I was describing all of that ground, how hard some of it was. Talk about people's hearts. You try to win them, they don't want to hear it. The thorny ground, they're so wrapped up in their own lives and their selfishness that they, they won't listen. And so on the shallow ground, you know, they're just a bunch of play actors. And they're, the, they're like what I call Alka-Seltzer Christians. You, you get them in church sometimes. You know what Alka-Seltzer Christian is? They drop in, they make a big splash for a little while, and then they're gone. And all you got left is a bad taste in your mouth. <laughs> While I was preaching that sermon, all of a sudden, it just got all over me. There's a whole lot of good ground, though. 
You just got to go through all that rejection and all that bad ground. Just keep on trucking. Before long, you're going to come to somebody who says, I've been waiting for this all my life. They carried it. He carried Jesus to the crowd when he got loose, where Jesus desired to be. Jesus got to the place where he desired, that he desired to be. And then in verse uh, 8, he got the praise he deserved. And I'm closing the sermon now, but I want you to listen to this real careful. Remember that sermon on the mount? Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Let your light so shine. So shine. That means cast off your inhibitions and don't be afraid to be a real Christian. Let your light so shine. Why? That men may see your good works. See them. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let me tell you how upside down a lot of people are in their thinking. I was talking to somebody a while back. Uh, this has happened so many times. People say, well, God sees my heart. God sees my heart. You know, I may go here and I may be doing this and I may look like I do, but, uh, you know, God, man looks on the outside. And God, they think that they're going to impress somebody with how spiritual they are as a Christian when they say that. They don't realize how silly they are. God looks on the heart. Man looks on that. that, that they, they just want to quote the first half of that verse. God looks on the heart. They forget about that second half. You know what I want to say to them? Well, what a newsflash. God looks on the heart. Who knew? What they ought to be noticing there is the fact that man cannot look on our hearts. All he can see is what he can see on our outside. Amen. That's why we're to let our light so shine Amen. That's right. that men will see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Well, this donkey helped Jesus get where he wanted to be and he got the praise that he deserved. Verse 8 says... And they brought the colt to Jesus, cast their garments on him. He sat on him, and many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees. Watch what's happening. And start, this donkey's loose now. Look what's happening. And, they, and they, they that went before, and they that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father, David, that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They're praising Jesus and he deserves every bit of that praise. He deserves every bit of praise that we can bring to him with our lives. Amen. For mothers and fathers and everybody else, he deserves every bit of praise that we can bring to him with our lives. Everything. I'm just want here's just a little reminder. Life is short. Life is short. It seems like, I kid you not, it seems like just last week that I was 35, 40 years old. I get a girlfriend from my kids. I feel like I'm still going to hang. And the next round will be better. Life is short. I love it. Life is short. And if you're tied to a post tonight, I'm here to this spot right now. You don't like being tied to that post. There may be somebody here, you're lost. You're tied to a post of condemnation. Tied to a post. Think about that donkey that's out there and it's backsliders, Christian backsliders, they're miserable. They are miserable. They're like that donkey out there, Psalm, that's so sick and tired and sick and tired. It's hot, it's dirty, it's dusty. The flies are biting at the end, and that's miserable. That's what backsliders are. Two people that are not where they need to be. They know they're tired of folks. You might be somebody in this. Well, I was preaching, but I don't like those things. Christians are going to do that. Is it just a nickel post? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it? If it was so little, the Holy Spirit would be born. Right. That's right. Think about lost people tied to a post. I do. All of a sudden, that donkey 
shadow walks over your student. Then they start working on those knots. And I can think of a student hand, you know what I think of, brother? I think of I think of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Working on those knots. Thank you. 